Welcome to Survivor Analytics, the show that aims to find the perfect survivor strategy. My name is Clyde, and in this episode, we will be going through another player ranking. If you have listened to our podcast on previous Survivor seasons, you know that at the end of every season, I go back and rank every contestant on the cast. I did this with Survivor Samoa, as well as Survivor 44. We just released a podcast on the finale for Season 15 Survivor China, so now is the perfect time to go back and rank all of these players. Before hopping into my rankings, I want to lay out just some of the ground rules. First up, I try to balance all three components of the game, those being the social, strategic, and physical. I will admit, though, that I believe the physical aspect of Survivor is the least important, so I generally favor the social and strategic elements. It's also important to note that my rankings are based purely on contestants' performances in Survivor China. This season features four players that come back and compete in later seasons, those being PG, Amanda, Courtney, and James. My opinions on those contestants changed after their later appearances, but to keep everything clear and concise, we're going to narrow the scope to just this season. With all that said, let's hop right into these rankings, where at the number 16 spot, we have arguably one of the worst players in Survivor history. At some point, I want to make a ranking of the 10 worst contestants, and I'm pretty confident that this player will make the list. It's Chicken Morris. Chicken is voted out episode 1, so we don't have a lot of information on him. What we do know is that he has a complete misunderstanding of his individual strengths within the game. As his name suggests, Chicken is a chicken farmer. He is a player that theoretically excels in camp life. While Modern Survivor does not favor that skill set as much anymore, it was a valuable trait in those early years. A contestant like Chicken should not be the first boot of the season. Generally, a tribe on Survivor needs a player like Chicken to at least lay the groundwork. You need him to build a shelter and establish a work routine for the group. After that, you can cut Chicken. When Chicken arrives at the Jeanhu tribe, he gets frustrated that other contestants don't want to follow his suggestions. Instead of rolling with the group dynamic and offering help when needed, he completely gives up. He refuses to provide any advice moving forward, and as a result, he's voted out in the first tribal council. The only positive on Chicken's survivor resume is that he was able to convince another contestant on that tribe to work with him. Granted, that contestant was Dave Cruiser, who, spoiler, is not very high on this list either, but it at least shows that Chicken has some sort of social gameplay to pull another contestant onto his side. At the end of the day, though, Chicken deserves this spot as the worst contestant on Survivor China. Okay, so now let's move on to the number 15 spot. And before revealing who this is, I just want to say, when looking at these rankings, I found that there is a really wide gap between the bottom four and the remainder of the list. I feel like these bottom four contestants are four of the worst players that I've covered on this podcast. Maybe this is just the nature of old school Survivor. There were way more contestants that were not necessarily fans of the show. They wanted to go on for the actual survival experience. To be completely honest though, I think any one of these four players could have been ranked last on many other seasons. But let's hop into it. At number 15, I have Leslie Nice. Leslie ends up in 14th on this season, but I think her actual player quality is worse than her placement suggests. 
there's two main takeaways that I have from Leslie's run on Survivor China. First, she lacks patience within the game. Early in the pre-merge, Leslie receives a clue from Jamie on the location of the hidden immunity idol. Given that this is season 15, there are only two idols in the game, which means that they are incredibly powerful. If Leslie can get her hands on this idol, it's an absolute game changer. Rather than taking the time to look for the idol in order to benefit her own game, she gets impatient and immediately reports this information to Todd. As far as we know in the edit, Leslie searches for that idol for maybe 24 hours before she tells Todd. This decision to leak the idol information plays a role in Leslie's elimination. Todd has an incentive to vote her out at the first tribal council because by voting Leslie out, Todd is the only one on that tribe with knowledge of the idol. The other note that I have on Leslie is her utter inability to recognize the importance of information within the game. In the pre-merge, Leslie attends the Jean Hu camp where she spills all of the Fei Long secrets. Now, releasing that information alone is not a bad move. What makes this decision horrible is Leslie's move afterwards. She goes back to Fei Long and openly admits that she spilled their secrets. One of those secrets that Leslie admits to sharing is that Aaron is the leader of Fei Long. In the first Fei Long Tribal Council, Aaron is the player that really pushes the vote on to Leslie because he doesn't trust her anymore. Now, Leslie is a solid social player. It seems like she built some bonds on the island. However, her horrible strategic gameplay would hold her back on any season. I don't see a world where Leslie goes on Survivor and wins the show. I think she can make a deep run as a GOAT, potentially reaching a final tribal council and serve as a zero-vote finalist, but those strategic deficits would haunt her on literally any season. Let's look ahead to the number 14 player on my rankings where I have Dave Cruiser. Dave plays a very prominent role in the early edit of China. He is one of the main characters of that Hu tribe. From literally day one, Dave is on the outs. In the first Hu tribal council, he is left out of the consensus plan to eliminate chicken. Dave also demonstrates a misunderstanding of power dynamics within Survivor. In those early seasons, there's a large focus on the title of tribal leader. While some people might see this as an honor, it's really the kiss of death on the show. The leader of a given tribe on Survivor will receive a lot of blame for factors completely outside their own control. Dave is so enamored with the reputation of leader that he actively volunteers for that position. He later complains about the responsibilities of leadership that he actively volunteered for. Volunteering for the Jean Hu tribal leader was a completely unnecessary move that definitely damaged Dave's game in the long run. The last drawback with Dave that we need to talk about is his horrible social play. Dave is one of the worst social players ever covered on Survivor Analytics. His treatment of other contestants is so bad to the point where I think he's incapable of winning any season. Dave is on Survivor China for just four episodes, but he enters so many arguments within that span. In episode two, Dave and Ashley are publicly at odds. As a result, the other contestants on that tribe feel that they need to vote out one of them. 
Dave survives that round primarily due to his strong work ethic around camp, but his positioning on the chopping block is completely his own fault. Later on in the pre-merge, Dave enters another public argument, this time with PG. Once again, the other players consider voting out Dave for his toxicity in camp life. The last straw for Dave happens in episode 4, where he enters a new argument with Sharia. At that point, the other members of Jean Hu realize that Dave is the one causing their problems. Yes, he contributes in challenges. Yes, he's a valuable asset around camp. But they would rather vote him out and not have to deal with the constant bickering. I think there's definitely an argument for ranking Dave as the worst player of this cast. I decided to place him here at 14 because he was able to survive two tribal councils. Moving on to the number 13 spot, we have our last entry in this bottom tier. It should come as no surprise, is Jean-Robert Belande. Where do I even start with Jean-Robert? Um, he is one of the worst social players that I've ever covered on this podcast. From literally day one of the season, Jean-Robert creates this negative reputation around him. He intentionally does not contribute around camp in the early game, thinking that if he later helps, he'll be perceived as a hero. This logic is completely backwards, and instead other players perceive Jean-Robert as just lazy. We also need to mention Jean-Robert's treatment of the women on this season. He makes both Courtney and Amanda feel very uncomfortable in the shelter with his inappropriate behavior, which is bad both in a moral sense and in a gameplay sense. By the time Jean-Robert is voted out in ninth place, over half of the remaining contestants despise him. He's disliked by James, Todd, Amanda, Courtney, and Denise. His social game is so bad to the point where I don't believe he has a winning Final Tribal Council combination on this season. You can tell just how poor Jean-Robert's relationships were with people on China based on the number of times he had votes cast against him. Oftentimes when you got a contestant like Jean-Robert that's perceived as public enemy number one, there are other contestants in the post-merge that will try to drag him to the end. The contestants on this season value their morals and sanity over the game itself when dealing with Jean-Robert. Jean-Robert attends four tribal councils and he receives votes against him in every single one of them. Any player could have taken Jean-Robert to the final tribal council and beaten him, but he was so terrible around camp to the point where they elected to vote him out in ninth place instead. Outside of his social game, we can discuss Jean-Robert's strategy, which isn't great either. In the pre-merge, Jean-Robert approaches Todd on day one and straight up tells Todd that he thinks that Todd is sneaky. This move makes absolutely zero sense. If Jean-Robert does not trust Todd, the last thing he should do is leak that information. Later on in the game, Jean-Robert sees Jamie attempt to play a wooden plaque as an idol at the final 10. Less than two days after this tribal council, Jean-Robert sees the exact same plaques on a structure around camp, and he believes that they're real idols. He does not figure out that they're fakes until Eric leaks that information. Like the contestants below him, there's an argument for placing Jean-Robert at 16th. I chose to place him here at 13th place because he was able to survive three tribal councils. He was able to navigate into that majority Faelong alliance, to the point where they did not immediately cut him in the game. 
onto the number 12 spot, we're entering a new tier of survivor players. This is a group that is defined by its passivity. None of these contestants self-destructed like the four players below them, but they were never active in improving their position within the game. The first member of this group coming in at number 12, I got Ashley Massaro. Ashley was the second person voted out of the Zhanghu tribe, and from day one, she struggled to navigate into the majority alliance. In the first Zhanghu tribal council, Ashley is excluded from the consensus plan to eliminate chicken. In that round, she is the only person that casts her vote against PG. Following that tribal council, Ashley is on the outs, and to make matters worse, she is ill. Other players now perceive her as a weaker physical asset. My primary reason for placing Ashley at the bottom of this tier is her inability to coordinate a vote. In episode 2, Dave creates chaos around the Shanhu camp with his terrible leadership approach. Ashley enters multiple public arguments with Dave, which puts both of them on the chopping block. Dave is clearly the core problem of this Shanhu tribe. Theoretically, convincing the rest of that group to eliminate Dave is an easy task, but Ashley still fails. She's unable to gather the numbers on her side. The tribe elects to vote out Ashley over Dave due to Dave's work ethic around camp. Now on to the number 11 spot where we have another pre-merge elimination. It's Sharia Lloyd. Unlike Ashley, Sharia proves that she can navigate into a majority alliance. She's included on the consensus plan to vote out Chicken in Episode 1, and in Episode 2, Sharia is one of the core swing votes that decides between Dave and Ashley. Sharia's game goes off the rails starting in Episode 4. In that round, her poor contributions to camp life put her on the chopping block alongside Dave, who has annoyed the entire tribe. While the other members of Jean who elect to vote out Dave over Sharia, she is clearly positioned on the bottom after that round. Had Jean Hu attended another tribal council in the pre-merge with that same group, Sharia is the obvious target. So on one hand, Sharia was able to identify and enter the majority alliance, but it's clear that she was a bottom feeder within that group. In many ways, Sharia benefits from swapping tribes in the pre-merge. She is sent over to the Fei Long tribe alongside Frosty, Due to the nature of this twist, Sharia is an obvious target. When Fei Long attends Tribal Council, it's obvious that their target will be one of those contestants that came over to their tribe. Sharia gets voted out there in 11th place, but she demonstrates some strategic prowess in that round. She correctly identifies Jean Robert as the most disliked member of Fei Long. On top of that, she's able to convince Courtney to vote with her against her original alliance. Sharia goes out there in a 5-2 vote. Now, some people will claim that Sharia was swap-screwed on China, and I just don't believe that. As I mentioned earlier, her position on Zhan Hu was not great before the swap, so I think she probably gets voted out in the pre-merge, regardless of which tribe she's on. I'm also surprised that in Sharia's elimination, she's unable to convince Frosty to work with her. Frosty and Sharia had a lot of time on that original Shan Hu tribe to build a relationship, yet the second they flip over to Fei Long, Frosty is willing to leave her. Maybe that was a move of self-preservation on Frosty's end, 
but it's not a good look for Sharia's social game. Overall, I think Sharia is a player that can contribute to challenges in the pre-merge and can follow some basic survivor strategy, but she struggles to find her way into the core of an alliance, which lands her here at number 11. Jumping ahead to the number 10 spot, we're entering a new group of players that's defined really by their passivity. I think all these contestants from number 10 to number 7 perceive Survivor through an old-school lens. They are inherently loyal players. They form alliances with members of their original tribe, and they stick by those alliances throughout the season, even when there are signs that they should flip. The poster child for passivity on China falls here at the number 10 spot. It's Denise Marin. Throughout the season, Denise is a member of the Fei Long Majority Alliance, where she does not hold much agency. In the pre-merge, she contributes to the Leslie and Sharia eliminations, but we never get scenes of Denise actively contributing to those votes. When the merge hits, Denise receives a clear sign that she's on the bottom of that Fei Long alliance. At the final nine, Denise is left out of the consensus plan to eliminate Jean Robert, which is completely nonsensical. Denise made it clear earlier in the season that she hated Jean Robert, yet the other members of that Fei Long alliance didn't trust Denise enough to include her on this plan. After this vote, Denise should have looked to flip on Fei Long. This was a clear sign of her bottom positioning, but she falls in line and continues to work with them for the rest of the season. From the final seven through the final five, Denise's loyalty causes her to make multiple strategic blunders. At the final seven, she willingly votes out arguably her closest ally in the game in James. Denise had an opportunity in that round to approach James and tell him that he was the target. After all, he held two immunity idols and he could have played one at that tribal council. Instead, Denise votes against James and does not inform him on the upcoming blindside. Then at the final six, Denise is positioned in the middle. She has an opportunity to either work with the three Fei Long members of Todd, Amanda, Courtney, or flip to work with the two minority Jean Hu players in Eric and PG. This is a difficult spot for Denise. On one hand, Denise worries that if she went to the end of the game with those Jean Hu members, she would have no chance at winning. On the other hand, if she sides with those Fei Long members, she's number four on the totem pole. By siding with that Fei Long group, Denise is essentially pushing all of her chips to the center of the table and banking on winning that Final Four immunity challenge. The Final Six, in my opinion, marks the point in the season where Denise blows up any chance she has at winning. She eventually decides to vote against Eric from the Jean Hu minority and roll with that Fei Long group, but I think had she flipped in this round, Survivor China could have a completely different story. Forcing a tie there would have caused a rock draw between Amanda, Courtney, and Denise herself. Basically, there's a two-thirds chance that a loyal Fei Long member gets eliminated. Now, if that worked out, Denise enters the final five with two original Jean Hu on one side and two original Fei Long on the other. Denise would have been positioned in the power seat. From there, she could pick and choose which contestants she wanted to take to the end of the game. Overall, strategically, Denise is a pretty poor player, somebody that I would not have a lot of confidence in navigating her way to the end on any given season. Socially, however, I think Denise is solid. 
Now, I don't believe she has a winning final tribal council combination from, like, the final six onwards. Players often discuss Denise's background. She has a family, and she comes from a lower-income household. According to the contestants on this cast, those factors would bolster Denise in a final tribal council. Even with those factors at play, I don't see a world where Denise can squeak out three jury votes. Obviously, she has zero chance defeating Todd in the end with his final tribal council speech, but let's say she got there with Amanda and Courtney. There, I think Denise gets two votes, one pro-Denise vote from James, and another vote from John Robert that's more so against Amanda and Courtney. Take a look at that jury, and you'll see that there's really nobody else that would have considered voting for a Denise win. My primary reason for not placing Denise lower on my list is her ability to ingratiate within a group. Keep in mind that the cast of China that reaches the merge is considerably younger than Denise. Those contestants have different life experiences, and as a result, it's more difficult to form friendships and alliances. Denise overcame that hurdle and positioned herself as a pivotal member of that Fei Long core. That ability to navigate into a majority alliance is impressive, but it's overshadowed by her passive gameplay and poor strategic decision-making, which places Denise here at the number 10 spot. Looking ahead to the number 9 spot, we have a contestant that is one of the most memorable figures from this season. It's James Clement. If these rankings were made solely based on popularity, James would be near the top. James was one of the stars of this season, yet I don't think he's a great player. In the early game, James proves that he can identify a majority alliance and weasel his way into that group. In Fei Long's first tribal council, James is a part of the consensus plan to eliminate Leslie. The tribe swap puts James in an interesting position. In that round, the Shanhu members intentionally throw the challenge to knock off one of either Aaron or James, who swapped over to their tribe. Given the logistics of this twist, I never expected James to pull one of the Shanhu members onto his side. However, his handling of this tribal council gives you insight into his player quality. So at that tribal, it's clear that one of either James or Aaron are going home. But the way they approach that vote is very different. Aaron recognizes that he's in self-preservation mode, and he votes against James. That way, if he survives that round, he potentially could have built his reputation with the other Jeanhu members. James, by contrast, is so mad that the other contestants on that tribe threw the challenge that he votes against PG knowing that he does not have the numbers on his side. It's purely an emotional decision. To me, this kind of proves James's strategic approach in Survivor. He forms an alliance early in the game, and he remains 100% loyal to that group for the rest of the season. Later on in the game, James acquires two immunity idols, one that Todd straight up gives him, and another that he finds at the Shanhu camp. Some people might give James credit here and say that his relationship with Todd is what enabled him to acquire these idols, but I kind of disagree. I think you can take out James and replace him with any other Fei Long member. If that player was swapped onto the Jeanhu tribe, I think Todd takes the same approach. It's clear in the edit that Todd does not give James these idols because he has this incredible connection to him. 
He does it because he perceives James as a valuable number in the game, and he wants to eliminate Jamie ideally in the pre-merge. Even amidst this entire idol saga, James handles the situation incorrectly. When James receives the one idol from Todd, his goal should be to win the upcoming immunity challenge, acquire the second idol at the Jeanhu camp, and enter the merge with two idols. Instead, James follows Todd's orders. He attempts to lose that challenge for Jeanhu, which would effectively burn one of those idols. Yes, you knock out a Jeanhu member in the process, but I think the benefit of holding two idols at the merge outweighs the benefit of voting out Jamie one round earlier. Not only does James read the situation incorrectly, but he breaks one of the core rules of Survivor in his hiding of the idols. If you find an idol on Survivor, you should always bury it. Players have been searching each other's bags since literally season 2 of the show. James instead hides the idols in his bag and the Jeanhu members find them. Later on in the season, he hides them in the tribe's shelter, which is an equally terrible hiding spot. When the merch hits, James continues with his core strategy. He intends to ride with the Feilong members until the end of the game. He votes correctly in the Jamie elimination, the Jaro Bear vote, and the Frosty elimination. Keep in mind though, James is not a pivotal strategic figure in any of those votes. Then we reach the final seven, where James solidifies himself as a below-average survivor player. He has two idols in this round, and the latest an idol can be played on this season is the final five. When he loses the challenge at final seven, it should be no question. He needs to play the idol in that round. Yes, it's a conservative move, but it enables him to live another day, and he can always win the challenge at final six, play the idol at five, and make a push. James is oblivious, though, to the fact that Amanda is actively scheming against him, and he gets voted out with both idols in his pocket. That move alone was enough for me to drop James to the bottom half of this list. So there's two main positives that prevent me from placing James lower on my list. First is his physical ability. While James does not win a individual immunity challenge on this season, it's clear just looking at him that he is a major contributor in challenges. I think if James played 100 seasons of Survivor, he would rarely ever get voted out in the pre-merge. Second, I think James is a solid social player. While he enters the occasional argument, I think for the most part, he was someone that was respected by the jury. Had James made it to the final tribal council, I think he has a solid chance at winning, but it really depends on who he faces there. All in all, the conservative gameplay mixed with the double idol disaster land James here at the number 9 spot. Looking ahead to the number 8 spot, we have another contestant that falls into this archetype of passive players. This contestant has a very old-school approach to Survivor, similar to James, but he has some attributes that place him ahead of James. It's Eric Huffman. Eric's positioning in the early game is actually pretty strong. He is a core member of the power dynamics at the Jeanhu tribe, alongside Jamie, Sharia, and PG. Eric contributes to all of those early Jeanhu eliminations. He's included on the Chicken vote, the Ashley vote, the Dave vote, and the Aaron vote. Now, Eric was never the head strategic thinker of any of those decisions, but he was still a part of that majority group. In the final days of that Jeanhu camp, Eric is aligned with Jamie and PG, 
but I get the sense that those two women were really the ones calling the shots. Eric was just along for the ride. We see this in the Aaron elimination, where PG and Jamie conspire to intentionally throw the challenge in order to eliminate Aaron. They do not tell Eric about this plan until after the challenge was actually thrown. The fact that they excluded Eric from that scheme is a clear sign that he's on the bottom of that group. Later on in the game, Eric proves that he can function from the bottom position in Survivor. When the merge hits, Eric theoretically should be perceived as one of the biggest threats from that Jean-Hu camp. Given that this is an older season of Survivor where players valued challenge prowess more, I expected many of them to see Eric as a threat for his ability to win challenges. Yet Eric is able to reduce his threat level to the point where that majority Fei Long group wanted to vote out all of the other Jean Hu members before they got to Eric. At the final 10, they correctly perceived Jamie and Eric as this dynamic duo, yet they vote out Jamie over him. Later on at the final 8, they take the shot at Frosty over Eric. Eric goes home at the final 6, but I think that's largely due to the result of that final 6 immunity challenge. In that round, PG wins the challenge, but had she been vulnerable, I think the Fei Long members take the shot at PG over Eric. Who knows what happens if PG loses that challenge? Eric makes it to the final five, and I think there's a world where he wins the final two immunity challenges, bulldozes his way to the end, and has some legitimate winning potential. While Eric is never able to build social bonds with members of that Fei Long alliance to the point where they agree to flip on each other, he's still a solid social player. Immediately following Eric's elimination, the remaining players go back to camp and talk about what a likable guy he was. I think if Eric makes it to the final tribal council, he has at least two locked jury votes. He'll get the Jamie vote as well as the PG vote. I think there's also a world where Eric gets the Amanda vote as well. We see the two of them bond on a reward, so if Amanda felt bitter towards Todd for voting her out, I could see her pivoting and voting for Eric. Eric's strategic ability is lacking though, and that creates a ceiling for him on my list. I could not put him higher than 8th. We see Eric's poor strategic sense at the final 7. In that round, PG approaches Eric with the plan to vote against Todd. Now, the thought process here is that if James elects to play his immunity idol, and all of the votes on James are negated, then Todd would go home as a result. After all, the Fei Long majority already had the numbers to vote out James, so there was really no value for Eric in throwing another vote in James's direction. Essentially, by voting against Todd in that tribal council, Eric and PG could guarantee Todd's elimination in the event that James plays an idol. Eric is afraid, though, to appear on the outs of that Fei Long alliance. He elects to vote against Jean Robert, which doesn't really do much for him in the long run. That decision never garners any additional respect from those other players, and when Eric is vulnerable in the following round, they still decide to vote him out. Another example of Eric's poor strategic sense comes at the final 10. In that round, Jamie acquires the wooden planks from the camp and believes that they're real immunity idols. Eric is unable to identify them as fakes, and he's also under the impression that they're real. Outside those strategic blunders, Eric is a passive player. We rarely get scenes of him attempting to flip the vote. One of the few times that Eric is active in the strategic aspect of the game is at the final six when he attempts to flip the vote onto Todd. But even in that round, Eric's reads are incorrect. He approaches Amanda with the scheme to eliminate Todd, but Amanda is Todd's number one ally. 
at that point in the season, I believe that she was the least likely person to flip on him. Overall, Eric was pretty invisible on this season, both in terms of the edit and his strategic gameplay. His strategic passivity mixed with a couple positive attributes like challenge prowess and social ability land him here at the exact midpoint of my list, the number 8 spot. Here at the number 7 spot, we have our final entry into this category of passive players. It's another fan favorite of the season, it's Courtney Yates. For the majority of Survivor China, Courtney does not have a lot of strategic agency. In the pre-merge, she's unable to gather the numbers against Sean Robert in those first two Fei Long tribal councils. Despite the Fei Long majority constantly ignoring Courtney's request to vote out Jean Robert, she decides to align with them in the merge. At the final 10, she contributes to the Jamie elimination in a position where she could have flipped to the Jean Hu group. Courtney's tendency to act as a strategic follower really shows starting at the final eight. In that round, Courtney is growing closer to Frosty, yet she elects to vote him out. This leaves her with few strategic options moving forward. She's forced to work with Amanda and Todd for the rest of the season. From the final six to the final four, Courtney remains overly loyal to Todd, who later defeats her in the final tribal council. Even at the final four, the conversation surrounding that vote was, will Amanda flip against Todd? The edit suggests that Courtney never seriously considered flipping against him. She failed to identify Todd as a major threat to win the game. Another drawback with Courtney as a Survivor player is the physical side of Survivor. I think Courtney greatly benefits from her positioning on the Feilong tribe. That group loses just one immunity challenge before the season's tribe swap. I think there's a chance that if Feilong loses another challenge before that tribe swap, Courtney could be the player going home. I need to give Courtney credit for winning an individual immunity in the post-merge, but I don't really believe that her single challenge win is indicative of future appearances. While Courtney struggles in the physical and strategic sides of Survivor, she's a high-quality social player. She forms strong bonds with multiple contestants on that cast. Her relationships and final tribal council performance earn her more jury votes than Amanda Kimmel. In that final tribal, Courtney tells the story of her survivor experience in a captivating way. She portrays herself as the perpetual underdog, which earns her the jury votes of James and Denise. Courtney's connections with members of the jury were so strong such that I think she has an argument to win against Denise and Amanda. It's crazy to think that in an alternate universe, Courtney Yates could have been the winner of this season. All in all, Courtney's social game places her at the head of this passive group, locking her in at number 7. At the number 6 spot, I have a contestant that will probably come as a surprise to most people. This is the highest pre-merge elimination on my list, it's Aaron Reesberger. Aaron has a strong early game positioning on Faye Long, where he solidifies an alliance with Todd and Amanda. Now, it's important to note that Todd and Amanda agreed to make Aaron appear as the figurehead of that alliance without that much power, so he was not in the best spot within that grouping, but that pairing ends up running the game for this season. By aligning with them, Aaron proves that he can navigate into a majority alliance. In the pre-merge, Aaron also demonstrates an ability to take a leadership role in a vote. He does this in the Leslie elimination, 
When Leslie comes back to camp and reveals that she spilled all of the Phalong's secrets, Aaron is the contestant that leads the push against her. Aaron gets voted out in the pre-merge largely due to factors completely outside his own control. He is a part of the tribe swap that sends him from the Phalong camp to the Hu camp. Aaron gets swapped over to that tribe alongside James, where he immediately identifies that they're on the bottom. In acknowledging this position, Aaron makes the correct move at that tribal council. Where James is emotional and votes against PG because he's bitter, Aaron knows that he should vote against James. That way, if James goes home in that round, he ideally built up a better reputation with those Hu members. Aaron gets voted out there, but I don't fault him too much for this elimination. You can make the argument that Aaron failed to reduce his threat level below James, but James unintentionally plummets his own threat level. At one point, he says that he wants to get voted out. Some people might be surprised that I have Aaron this high on the list, while Sharia is in the bottom half. After all, both of them were voted out due to the same tribe swap. What separates those contestants is their positioning on their original tribe. Sharia was on the bottom of Zhan Hu. She flips over to Fei Long, where she's also on the bottom. She was probably headed towards an elimination, regardless of which tribe she was a part of. Aaron, by contrast, didn't have his name even thrown out at Fei Long. He was only at risk of going home when he swapped over to the Zhan Hu camp in a numbers disadvantage. Overall, I feel solid putting Aaron here at number 6. I think this is more a symptom of a weaker cast rather than a high-quality player. I think if I looked at the number 6 player on most seasons and compared them, Aaron would be towards the bottom of the barrel. We are now entering the top 5 of my list, which introduces a new stratosphere of Survivor players. I think there's a substantial gap between Eric at number 6 and this contestant at number 5. The remaining five players that we're going to talk about here are all above average. I would have been satisfied with any one of them winning the season. So at the number five spot, I have Jamie Dugan. You can make the argument that Jamie's pre-merge game is the best of any contestant on Survivor China. She serves as the kingpin of that majority alliance at the Zhanghu camp. There is a group of herself, Eric, Frosty, and PG that runs the course of voting in that early game. Once Frosty is swapped over to the opposite tribe, it is Jamie keeping PG and Eric together. We later learn that those two contestants were never that close with each other. Jamie was the link between them. Not only is Jamie included in every elimination at Jean Hu, but she is one of the head strategic thinkers directing the vote. Another major positive on Jamie's survivor resume is her entire handling of the Leslie situation. So in episode 2, Jamie is kidnapped to the Feilong tribe, where she intentionally shares a clue to the immunity idol with Leslie. Now, she does this for two reasons. One, she perceives Leslie as a loyal player that will hopefully return the favor. And second, she sees Leslie as the weakest physical competitor on that tribe. By helping Leslie acquire that idol, Jamie theoretically keeps that tribe weaker. In episode 3, Jamie is able to convince her tribe to kidnap Leslie and bring her over to their side. This is a phenomenal move. Leslie is a loyal player that willingly shares the clue with Jamie. Now, Jamie never actually finds that immunity idol, but I really respect the thought process. Jamie later plays a critical role in the throne challenge to eliminate Aaron. 
while PG is the player that comes up with that scheme, Jamie is the sidekick in that operation. The two of them are most responsible for throwing that challenge, and when Tribal Council rolls around, I think they make the correct decision in voting out Aaron over James. We later learn that James was a pretty poor survivor player with his handling of those double idols. With all that said, there are multiple holes in Jamie's game. First, she has a tendency to make some paranoid decisions. In episode 6, Jamie and PG have just completed their plan of throwing the challenge and voting out Aaron. Step 2 of this plan is basically running it back, throwing the challenge a second time, voting out James, and entering the merge with equal numbers, 5 Fei Long and 5 Zhan Hu. This entire plan is thrown for a loop when, during the reward challenge, Jamie and PG are unable to get a response from Sharia and Frosty, the original Zhan Hu members that flipped over to Fei Long. They grow concerned that Frosty won't look them in the eye, and Sharia never provides them with any verbal affirmation during the challenge. As a result, this group elects to actually compete in the upcoming immunity. Now, this decision is completely nonsensical. Let's say their read is correct, and Sharia and Frosty have flipped over to the other Feilong group. If that is the case, that alliance of three, which includes Eric, Jamie, and PG, would be doomed at the merge regardless. They would be outnumbered 7-3. to three. Winning this last immunity challenge in the pre-merge would enable that trio to survive another day, but they're still in a terrible spot when the merge hits. In this scenario, I think you need to operate under the assumption that Sharia and Frosty are still loyal. I believe that the risk of throwing the challenge and voting out James is still worth it. Instead, they elect to try in the upcoming challenge, they win it, and Sharia gets voted out from that Feilong group. This means that the Zhanhu members enter the merge down in numbers 6-4. to four. This scenario completely could have been avoided had Jamie stuck to her guns, thrown the challenge, and knocked out James. Another fault that I have with Jamie as a player is threat level management. Jamie's relationship with Eric becomes a little too obvious, and when players decide to target that partnership, they go for Jamie over Eric. Jamie's role as the head strategist of that John Hu alliance is so obvious to the point where Todd comes up with that entire scheme in the pre-merge of giving James an idol solely to break up Eric and Jamie. When the merge rolls around, the Fade Long Alliance perceives Jamie as the biggest threat, and they take her out first. Last thing that I want to mention with Jamie is her misread on idols. At the merge, Jamie acquires a wooden plank at the Zhanhu camp that she believes is an immunity idol. As a Survivor fan, it's pretty obvious to me that these wooden planks are fake. I wish Jamie knew that Typically, an immunity idol comes with some form of paperwork or written instructions. She instead accepts those wooden planks as legitimate idols without any other form of verification. The one major positive of Jamie's elimination is the fact that she was correctly able to identify herself as the target. She attempts to play that fake idol on herself at Tribal Council, and obviously it doesn't work, but had it been a real idol, Jamie negates those votes. Overall, I was impressed with Jamie's run on Survivor China. I think she's one of the best social players on this cast, but her weaknesses in threat level management, as well as her paranoid play in the later rounds of the pre-merge, land her here at the number 5 spot. Jumping ahead to the number 4 spot, we have a contestant that I debated flipping with Jamie at number 5. I think you can make the argument that 
given Jamie's prominent role in that Sean Hu tribe in the pre-merge, that she deserves number four, but I had to make a decision and I got Frosty Zernow at this spot. Frosty enters Survivor China as the youngest contestant in Survivor history, so going into the season, my expectations were not very high. I thought that Frosty would be a valuable asset in challenges, but I worried that other contestants wouldn't respect him enough in the social and strategic elements of the game. Frosty proved me wrong. He knows how to navigate into a majority alliance. In the early days of Zhan Hu, Frosty is on the right side of every vote. He contributes to the Chicken Elimination, the Ashley Elimination, and the Dave Elimination. When Frosty flips over to the Fei Long camp, I thought he was dead to rights. He moves over to that tribe alongside Sharia, and on paper, Frosty is the bigger threat. Sharia was positioned on the bottom of Zhan Hu, so theoretically, she was the most likely contestant to flip over and work with those Fei Long members. Despite these signals, Frosty is still able to convince the Fei Long tribe to eliminate Sharia over himself. Another major positive for Frosty is his general approachability and his high-quality social play. In episode 6, Frosty discovers an immunity idol alongside Todd and Amanda. When this initially happened, I fully expected Todd and Amanda to flip the vote on Frosty at the next tribal council. After all, Todd made that exact move to Leslie in the pre-merge. Frosty is able to avoid the target, though. His relationship with Todd and Amanda is strong enough to the point where they choose to enter the merge with him and work with him. At the merge, Frosty finds himself in an incredible position. He's aligned with Todd and Amanda from the Fei Long tribe, as well as the three original Shan Hu members. All Frosty needs to do is pull one contestant from that Fei Long alliance to work with the Zhan Hu Alliance. At this stage of the game, the answer should be obvious. It's clear that Courtney and Jean Robert despise each other. We later learn that Frosty and Courtney have a solid relationship. I expected Frosty to convince Courtney to work with him in that round. Instead, Frosty willingly votes out Jamie, one of his potential Jean Hu connections. Through this vote, Frosty makes it clear that he is now a part of the seven-person Fei Long Alliance and this decision was his worst one of the entire season. At the final nine, he has another opportunity to weaken that Fei Long core by voting out James, but he instead contributes to the Jean Robert elimination. By the time the final eight rolls around, Frosty accidentally magnifies his own threat level. His public relationship with Courtney is a major concern for the other Fei Long members. Frosty gets voted out here at the final eight, but I do want to give him a little bit of credit. In this round, PG was the original target, but she won individual immunity. Had literally anybody else on that cast won the immunity challenge, Frosty survives until the final seven. Granted, I don't think he makes it much further past that because he was on the bottom of that alliance, but it's still important to note. Chances are, if he survives that round, James still goes home at final seven, and Frosty is your target at the final six. Overall, while Jamie had a stronger early game on Survivor China, Frosty demonstrates far more adaptability, which places him higher on my list. Even in post-game interviews, contestants like Todd have said that Frosty is the player on the season that receives the poorest edit. In reality, apparently Frosty had a larger role in the strategic decision-making. All in all, Frosty on paper is a triple threat. He can adapt to different social situations and navigate into different alliances. He has potential to win challenges. 
And he's very likable. I think if Frosty makes it to the end of this season, he has some legitimate win equity. I know that Survivor will likely favor new era players whenever they decide to run a returning player season, but Frosty is just 36 years old. I think he's on the board still for a potential return, and I would love to see him come back. We've now reached the top three. I think there's a substantial gap between Frosty at number four and this contestant at number three. When making this list, I knew early on that these three contestants would land at the top in this specific order. So at the number three spot, I have PG Law. PG is an interesting player in that I'm confident in her ability to identify the correct strategic move in any given round. However, I don't know if she has the social skills necessary to make those moves happen. In the early days of China, PG is a central strategic figure of that Jeonhu tribe. She leads the votes in the eliminations of Chicken, Ashley, and Dave. PG's most impressive move of the season comes in the pre-merge, actually, with the tribe swap. After that swap that sees James and Aaron join the Jeonhu tribe, PG is the contestant that comes up with the scheme to intentionally throw the challenge and eliminate one of them. When Jeonhu throws the challenge, PG looks at James and Aaron, where she correctly identifies Aaron as a better overall survivor player. The Jeonhu majority follows PG's lead and they vote out Aaron in 12th place. While throwing the challenge was PG's most impressive move of the season, her decision at the final 11 might be her biggest mistake. In that round, PG backs out of the plan to throw a second immunity challenge to eliminate James. In this round, PG acts very paranoid. She worries that Frosty and Sharia flipped over to the Feilong Alliance and now were members of that tribe. If PG's read was correct and those contestants had completely denounced Jean Hu, she would have been doomed at the merge. PG would have entered the merge at a 7-3 numbers disadvantage. In my opinion, the risk of throwing the challenge at the final 11 is still worth it. By winning that challenge, Sharia gets voted out and Jean Hu enters the merge down in numbers 6-4. At the merge, I initially expected the Feilong Alliance to knock out PG first. She was one of the core strategic thinkers of that group. However, PG is a contestant that knows how to survive from the minority. She wins individual immunity both at the final 8 and the final six when she was the original target. PG differs from other Jean Hu members in that she is actively working to improve her bottom positioning. When she wins reward at final seven, she selects Denise and Eric. On reward, she attempts to form a final three deal. Denise later stabs her in the back, but had that group went to the end together, PG likely wins. As mentioned earlier, the biggest weakness on PG's survivor resume is social persuasion. She struggles to convince others to enter her plans. At the final seven, she fails to convince her ally Eric to vote against Todd in the event that James plays an immunity idol. At the final six, she fails to convince Denise to flip on that Fei Long group and join the Jeanhu minority. Then at the final five, PG fails to convince Denise and Amanda to work with her and eliminate Todd, who later goes on to win the season. Overall, PG is one of the most impressive 5th place finishers that I've seen in a long time. I said this on our podcast, but had Jean Hu entered the merge with the numbers advantage, PG could have won this season. 
She knows how to identify threats in the game, and she is active in recruiting other players for those schemes. So congrats to PG, the third best player on Survivor China. We've made it to the top two, the battle of Todd versus Amanda. I consider Todd one of the greatest winners in the history of Survivor, and the same can be said for Amanda in terms of non-winners. The two of them direct the course of voting for this entire season, but only one can sit at the top of the mountain, so I have Amanda Kimmel here at the number two spot. Straight up, Amanda knows how to navigate into a majority alliance where she holds a substantial amount of agency. She is a member of the initial Phalong majority alongside Todd and Aaron that directs the vote in the early Phalong eliminations. Amanda is not merely a member of this group. There are multiple rounds on China where she is the head strategist. At the final 11, she leads the Sharia elimination where Todd wanted to vote out Jean Robert. This vote enables that Phalong alliance to enter the merge with the 6-4 numbers advantage. Without that numbers advantage, Todd and Amanda would have had a more difficult path to the end of the game. Amanda also leads the famous James elimination at the final seven. In that round, she positions herself such that even if James played his immunity idol, she would have been safe. The only other votes casted in that tribal council went to Todd and PG. One underrated move on Amanda's survivor resume is the Frosty elimination at the final eight. In that round, the Feilong majority wants to knock out one of the Hu members. Amanda is able to convince Todd to eliminate Frosty over Eric. At this point in the season, Todd and Amanda were aligned with each other, but they also had secondary alliances with players on the bottom. Amanda was able to convince Todd to knock out one of his numbers before she let Eric go. By keeping Eric in the game for an additional couple rounds, Amanda provided herself with an opportunity to flip if she wanted to. In addition to her strategic prowess, Amanda is a solid social player. There are some contestants like PG on this cast who Amanda initially struggles to form a bond with. Later on in the season, they're able to repair the relationship such that I think PG would have voted for Amanda if she didn't go to the end with Todd. Rounding out Amanda's strengths is her ability in challenges. She is a high-quality physical competitor, which is evidenced by her two immunity challenge wins at the end of the season. With all that said, Amanda has two major weaknesses that prevent her from earning that number one spot. First up, I think Amanda plays overly conservative in the endgame of China. Todd does not win in individual immunity this entire season. In addition, he receives votes for three straight rounds in the endgame, the final six through the final four. During that stretch, Amanda has multiple opportunities to take the shot at Todd, and she consistently passes them up. So why does Amanda elect to take Todd to the end of the game? In her mind, Todd is an overly aggressive strategic player. He burned multiple bridges throughout the season, and she doubts that members of the jury would be willing to vote for him. As we later learn, this is a major strategic misread on Amanda's part. She failed to identify Todd as a Survivor superfan, somebody that was capable of delivering a high-quality final Tribal Council speech. This inability to identify threats in the endgame puts a ceiling on Amanda's Survivor stock for me. The other major weakness with Amanda is obvious. It's her horrendous final Tribal Council performance. 
Going into that final tribal council, Amanda's goal was to downplay her strategic side in order to make Todd appear more as a villain. She takes this to an extreme, though. She belittles her own game while Todd owns up to his playstyle. You can make the argument that final tribal council presentation is the most important skill for a survivor player. I'm confident in Amanda's ability to navigate to the end of a season, but I question if she can actually win it. Her final tribal council speech was so poor, such that I don't know if Amanda wins, even if she votes out Todd at the final four. Let's say Amanda makes it to the end, with Courtney and Denise. I believe that Amanda enters that final tribal council with only one locked jury vote in Eric. Meanwhile, Courtney has Frosty and Todd, while Denise gets James and Jean Robert. In that scenario, the only way that Amanda wins is if she receives the winning votes from PG and Jamie. It's tough to predict, but I lean towards a Courtney win in that final three. I feel like in many ways, Amanda's legacy benefits from the fact that she lost to Todd in the end. Todd, in my opinion, had the greatest final tribal council speech in Survivor history, which makes Amanda's loss appear less disastrous. Had Amanda reached the end and lost against either Courtney or Denise, I bet the Survivor community does not look back at her as favorably. I know I spent a lot of time there bashing Amanda's endgame, but I still consider her an all-time great player. She is one of the 10 greatest non-winners in Survivor history and the second best player on Survivor China. On to the number one spot. I gotta be honest, there was really no question for me who deserved to be at the top of this list. It's Todd Herzog. This is the first time in my experience producing player rankings where the highest rated player on the list is the winner of the season. Todd is the best player on Survivor China, and I don't know if it's particularly close. I think Todd is a legend of Survivor, one of the 20 greatest players in the history of the show. I personally have him ranked at number 11 all time. Todd is a Survivor unicorn, someone with a unique skill set that I think would translate to really any season. He's a contestant that I believe can navigate to the end of the game, and if he reaches that final destination, he will win the majority of the time. I'm a huge Todd Herzog fan, so let's jump into some aspects of his game. Strategically, Todd proves that he can establish a majority alliance where he is the central figure. In the pre-merge, Todd establishes a core alliance with Amanda and Aaron. He is one of the central figures in the Leslie and Sharia eliminations. Then in the post-merge, Todd continues to act as the strategic kingpin. I credit Todd for leading five out of the seven post-merge tribal councils. He is the undisputed head strategic figure in the eliminations of Jamie, Jean Robert, PG, Denise, and Eric. Not only does Todd coordinate the direction of the vote for a large chunk of this season, but he demonstrates some strategic abilities that are far ahead of his time. In the second episode of the season, Todd comes up with the idea of roping Aaron into his alliance with Amanda where they could use Aaron as the figurehead. Aaron would theoretically deter the target away from the core duo. This concept of a strategic shield is far ahead of his time. His innovative strategic methodologies are also revealed at the final 11. In that round, Todd initially campaigns to eliminate Jean Robert over Sharia. Now, I disagree with Todd's approach here in that 
I think it was better to vote out Sharia. That way, Fei Long could enter the merge with the 6-4 numbers advantage. However, it's important to note Todd's reasoning for wanting to vote out John Robert. At this point in the season, other contestants were growing more and more annoyed with John Robert. Todd wanted to vote him out in order to appease the other players. Todd straight up tells Amanda that if they continue to pivot away from other players' wishes, that duo would be perceived as the strategic figureheads. This philosophy of following the group's decision in order to manage personal threat level is straight up a stroke of genius. It's an approach that we continue to witness even in the new era of Survivor, and Todd was doing this back in 2007. Also at the final 11, Todd offers James the immunity idol with instructions of throwing the upcoming challenge, then eliminating Jamie. Now, I think this move is overly aggressive. Todd's tribe could have thrown the challenge, voted out either Frosty or Sharia, then just entered the merge with the numbers advantage. While I disagree with Todd's decision to pass an idol to James, it does demonstrate some long-term strategy that we don't really see with the other contestants. Many people remember Todd for his strategic stranglehold on this season, but I think he's an underrated social player. Todd proves that he can form an alliance with other contestants and build bonds that are strong enough to the point where those other players won't flip on him. Starting at the final six, Todd is perceived as the biggest overall threat in the game. He receives votes cast against him for three straight rounds, the final six through the final four. For three consecutive episodes, players identify Todd as a threat, but they're unable to gather the numbers against him. Todd's relationships with the Phalong core of Courtney, Amanda, and Denise enable him to reach the end of the game. He doesn't rely on immunity challenge wins. Todd's move to keep Denise loyal at the final six is especially impressive. In that round, Denise knew that siding with the Phalong alliance meant that she was number four on the totem pole. It's clear that aligning with the Phalong members is the incorrect strategic move Yet Todd is able to make Denise feel comfortable enough with that group and vote with them in that round. This social ability culminates at the final four when Amanda wins individual immunity. From an outside perspective looking in, Todd should have went home at the final four. In fact, I expected Amanda to flip on Todd in that round. I consider her a high-quality strategic player. At the end of the day, though, Todd convinces Amanda to take him to the final tribal council. Even if Amanda wanted to flip on Todd at the final four, the best she could do is cause a split vote. Todd had Courtney's vote in his pocket, so the worst case scenario for him was competing against Denise in firemaking. It's clear that Todd can form trusting relationships within his own alliance, but can he do this with members outside the alliance? The answer is yes. In the pre-merge, Todd's relationships with members outside of his alliance enable him to earn clues to the immunity idol. He receives clues from both Dave and Leslie. Later on at the final seven, Todd's relationships are so strong to the point where he's not even the backup vote in the James elimination. James goes home there with two idols in his pocket. But had he played an idol, the vote would have been a tie. There was one vote cast against PG and one vote cast against Todd. If James plays that idol and there's a revote between PG and Todd, I think Todd survives that round. 
The best element of Todd as a Survivor player is without question his final Tribal Council performance. Todd delivers, in my opinion, the greatest final Tribal Council speech in the history of Survivor. Todd knows how to make a clear distinction between his deceptive and manipulative gameplay and his authentic relationships on the island. He also knows how to cater jury questions to individual jurors. He proves this in his response to Jean Robert. In the final Tribal Council, Jean Robert is bitter towards Todd for blindsiding him at the final nine. Todd knows that JR has a massive ego. In reality, Todd voted out Jean Robert because everybody else on the island disliked him. The truth, though, would never earn Todd Jean Robert's jury vote. Instead, Todd tells him that he perceived Jean Robert as a major strategic threat which forced him to flip the vote. This response strokes John Robert's ego and later materializes in a winning vote towards Todd. This ability to clearly explain his game makes me confident in Todd's win equity on any season of Survivor. The challenge for Todd is not sealing the deal at Final Tribal Council, it's really reaching that point. With all that said, Todd is not a perfect player, I will admit. He struggles in the physical aspect of Survivor. He does not win a single individual immunity on the season. And similar to Courtney Yates, I think he greatly benefits from the physical strength of that Fei Long tribe. That group attends just two tribal councils in the pre-merge. Had Todd been a part of a season with three tribes instead of two, he might struggle. In that format, contestants naturally value the physical side of the game in the pre-merge which plays to Todd's disadvantage. I will also note that Todd struggles to manage his threat level in the late game. As I mentioned earlier, he receives votes cast against him every round from the final seven to the final four. While I'm impressed with his ability to never receive the majority of votes, when looking at all-time greats, I generally prefer those contestants that avoid the target in its entirety. Last negative with Todd is his constant scheming. Other players on China have literally no trust in him by the end of the season. Even Amanda, his closest ally in the game, says in confessional that she no longer knows what to expect with Todd. This scheming persona is sometimes exacerbated by Todd's negativity. We see this after the Great Wall reward where Todd and Courtney return to camp and complain about the food that they received. After that incident, other players feel annoyed with Todd and consider voting him out. So congratulations to Todd, the best player on Survivor China, and in my opinion, the 11th greatest player in Survivor history. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. It was fun going through each of these contestants on the season and ranking them individually. I'm excited for Survivor 45. I'm sure in December of this year, I'll be releasing another one of these podcasts ranking that entire cast as well. So thanks again for listening and keep an eye out for our Survivor 45 Fantasy Draft, which will probably be coming out in the next couple weeks.